0: Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D H A R M A Media.com. So, welcome everybody to our edition of Conversations. And we've got a great lineup today. Uh, we've got me and Z, as usual. We've got Kiko, who's here from Italy. Uh, We have Dave, who's a friend of Dharma. Kevin, who's known Z for a long time. And we're going to have a really interesting discussion about heroism versus cowardice. And Z, this topic came up as we were talking last week, and we were talking about work. You were asking me what's been going on. And sometimes some of the things, frankly, that I see in my line of work, being in corporate America, appall me. And they seem innocuous but you dig into it and it's just really frightening the way that we've been trained to operate. So the specific story is I was out for drinks with a few people from work and one of them was talking about how he encountered a mugging at a subway station. And this was the first time that he'd seen this happen. So he's down on the subway platform and there's a young woman, there's someone with a knife who's sticking her up, who takes her possessions And fortunately, no one was hurt. She handed over whatever she had. He went away. And this guy was recounting the story. So he didn't get involved. And that by itself, I can't say whether it's right or wrong. I wasn't there in the situation. Maybe the best thing is, in fact, to just let it go. You lose some money. You lose some ID. You can get that back, not the end of the world. But what I thought was more telling and more interesting was his reaction. Because he started talking about how you just never want to get involved. You never want to put yourself in danger, especially when you have children. You don't want to take the risk. It's not worth it. Just always back down. I think we were talking about another incident on a subway where someone spat in someone else's face. And the person just wiped the spit away and turned around and didn't say anything. And the consensus at the table was, oh, yeah, that was the right thing to do. And I'm hearing this. And on the one hand, maybe there is something admirable about it. I don't know, I I guess I struggle to find anything admirable about that. You hear about Gandhi, you hear about Martin Luther King, this idea of turning the other cheek. And in certain contexts, yes, it makes sense. In others, frankly, it seems like cowardice. It seems like a sad way to go through life, never taking a stand, never standing up for yourself. And it's not that you're going out and seeking conflict, but you're standing up and you're saying, I'm in this world, I've got my life, my space. And if you come and invade that and threaten me, I'm going to make sure that you back off. So it's really about taking a stand. You made a few interesting observations about this. So one, you talked about how your response in that sort of situation isn't defined by what you do. There's this myth of heroism where an average person is put in extraordinary duress and something in them wells up and they take extraordinary action. In your experience, Z, you said that that rarely happens. What actually happens is the way that you act in a moment of crisis is the way that you've trained yourself to act your entire life. And it's the ideas you've internalized about what you're willing to do, what risks you're willing to take, what you value. And then you take a stand and defend what you value. And the people who do that consistently and who are willing to defend what they care about, to take risks when it makes sense, they're the ones who are going to step up. Those of us who never engage in conflict— we never challenge ourselves, we're always gonna shy away. And then we also got into this discussion about health. And yes, on the one hand, you can save yourself, so you're not gonna get stabbed if you step away from that situation. But on the other hand, what does it cost you? What does it cost you in terms of your health, your view about yourself, your ability to take care of yourself in this world? What does it do to your mentality? So those are two things that I wanna explore. And maybe you can start with the first one and talk a bit about this idea of heroism and where it comes from, and how it's really more part of a lifelong commitment as opposed to a one-time action in a moment of crisis.
1: Vin, um, as usual, you hit on so many points, and there are thoughts that come through my head. Um, I always love words. The word hero comes from the idea of Herculean or Hercules. And if we think about the myth or the story of Hercules, he was a very strong, strong man that stood for the the noble causes of the human condition, Um, standing up for the higher ideas of live and let live and how to reinforce those ideas, Um, helping those that are in need of aid or support or assistance. And his strength came from his duty and his service. So the term hero spread across many different cultures. Um, I think in yoga, the term Virbhadra, the war god, but the war wasn't an external war. It's someone who had won the internal war and everything that they touched and moved from that point on gave anyone a chance who were like them to proceed forward in life in an unencumbered manner and hold their space in their family and their community on this earth. And that's not something that is by fate your entitlement. One trains to be a hero, but you don't train to be a hero for the reward of that. It's the higher ideas or, or ideas that you hold about what it means to be a person. So that same person that readily And proudly says that they avoid all conflict, you often find them extremely conflicted in their personal and intimate life. In the quietest places that we dwell in, the person is not someone you admire. And as a parent, one of the tools or the gifts you give your parent, your children, as they move through life, is to stand for themselves, be clear with who they are. strive to be a realized human being and own themselves in order to do that there takes it takes heroic role models all around them. and when when I hear the hurt when I hear a story like that when I hear someone who confesses or advocates their cowardice I always want to know how do they treat the people close to them would you trust that person in business when things got a little sticky or a little difficult, would you really all of a sudden say, no, they're going to change during a pressured situation and they're going to be heroic? No, they won't be. They've trained themselves to take a coward's path. And even to recite it and to invoke it is is disturbing in a way. And even if you're in a crowd of cowards, at some point, there must be a, 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 an unsaid agreement of betrayal that goes along with that. No one, I don't think I know of anyone who wants to be in the company of cowards. Can you hold space for your friends and family under pressure? It's easy to hold that space when there's no pressure. It's easy to be a friend. When there's no strain. It's easy to be a good parent when there's no load. All those things are made easy if there is no stress. But also without stress, there's no depth. Without stressing a person, the character never builds. Without that stress, the intelligence never grows. So you become very um, feral. You become more beast-like looking only after your own best interests and your own needs. When in a broader reality, we are interdependent on one another. The commerce of human interaction is built on the idea that I've done well by other people. I've extended myself. I've put myself a little further out on a limb. I've given somebody a chance. I've given someone a... a hand up, not necessarily a hand out, but a hand up, so that they can progress, and in their progression, I have progressed, I become greater. There are so many myths around, you mentioned the Gandhi king myth, that it was all about, you know, these men just taking punishment. But if you're a pacifist, and that's what you do, then there's no heroism in just doing what you do. To me, the real hero would be the pacifist that said, Enough's enough, and I'm gonna hold space and I'm gonna fight back at whatever cost. So if we go and, and and we go deeper in these stories, Martin Luther King had the deacons for justice who at night would patrol armed uh, patrols of the civil rights workers sleeping in their tents, why there were not many deaths or kidnapping of civil rights workers while they were asleep. So he do when to hold space and fight back. Gandhi was a very brutal man when it came to moving his political agendas and controlling his family and his his, um, staff. He was very brutal, but he strategically used ahimsa and nonviolence to promote his political agenda. So we have to go deeper into the story and not look and say, okay, there's this person who's just kind of a limp-spined individual that's getting kicked in the teeth by bullies and that's going to advance the human condition. It's not. Bullies will not stop because you offer them another jaw to kick or butt cheek to stomp. They stop when there's an opposing force that puts them at risk and makes them liable for their behavior. Most crime runs rampant and this their crimes of strategy, of predator predatory nature that happened because we allow ourselves to be victims. So it is an easy hunt. And when it comes to the person a person of low character doesn't have low character in certain areas of their life. They express low character in all areas of their life. You think about the myth of militarism where they have these stories about the Special Forces operators who are tattooed and and huge biceps and this and that, and they go in and they just terrorize the locals and and, uh, shoot up folks and, and, and push the agenda, and they're waving a flag. This is a myth. Their training is used to eliminate people, not because of their physical inability, but people who take a coward's path, who will betray a friend for a bottle of water under times of thirst. Or when they feel the first hunger pangs, they will steal or abscond the food of another. So they eliminate all those people. See, so there are people they're looking for people who have heroic qualities which bind them to others. That they feel the dutiful connection to another person. And that under great pressure, that part of their character that sees a duty to another person will make them push forward with their mission and hopefully make sure that those around them and their associates and friends are safe because that is the character of the person. So what they do is they want to draw the character of that person out. Let me see who you are when things are not easy. So when we find ourselves turning away and constantly turning away from more and more of the various plagues of humanity, then those plagues grow stronger. Whatever it is, be it criminality, be it the abuse of children, the abuse of people, the denigration of people at work. And somebody says, well, I don't want to say anything. I'm want to lose my job. You hear that all the time. I say that I lose my job because my job gave me all of these things. I'm able to afford this beautiful place. Yet you can't live with yourself. If you're human, if you're not a sociopath, You can't really live with yourself. So it becomes harder and harder living with yourself. Then the visiting of disease comes about, mental health issues that transform into physical health issues, depressions of all kind. And we found that people who act with strength, act with a higher connection to humanity, tend to be healthier and live longer. And you will see these people in all areas of life. They can live with themselves. And where my concern is, is always mitigating human suffering. Cowards suffer. The more you are live that cowardly life, the more you must cower to life, avoiding any challenges, avoiding any self-development finding more and more surreptitious ways of getting things done. So then the coward becomes a betrayer of the self, and thus a betrayer of others. So there is little reward to a coward, and if there is any reward, it is short-lived. If you cannot bear yourself, then your children and your family cannot bear you, and they have compromised themselves just to deal with you. That does not sound like a wonderful life to me. You follow me,
0: Ben? Yeah, it's interesting as you're talking. So much of what you say resonates with me personally. And the comment you made about how people think, oh my goodness, I'm going to lose my job or I'll put myself at risk. Like so many things we talk about, the calculus is off because it's all about the immediate cost or the immediate benefit. And there's very little consideration paid to what the long-term impact is. So, yeah, you might not lose your job, but what about your your humanity? Are you going to lose your humanity because you don't stand up and defend what you believe in? You don't do what you think is right. And to me, it's not even a moral issue. It's not even a question of what you think is right or wrong. Different people are going to have different priorities. It's more when you do find something that you care about that is meaningful to you, are you willing to stand up and fight, or are you going to back down? And if you're the type who always backs down, yeah, you can avoid risk. Uh, But to your point, how do you end up living with yourself? And I think like so many of the challenges that we face, a lot of it comes down to narrative. I faced a lot of this when I was younger. I grew up in a family that is averse to conflict, where we talk a lot about these principles of ahimsa and just always approach people with love and kindness and never raise a hand and let's embrace all positive emotions, all positive expressions and actions, and anything that's angry or violent, uh, let's stay away from. And that was so deeply rooted in me that it created a lot of problems. In my late teens and my early 20s, I was in situations where I backed down and I backed down when people were threatening me, when they were confronting me. And I don't even think I backed down because I was really afraid. Uh, Maybe I was, maybe I wasn't. It was more habit. It was more a habitual response. Somewhere in my mind, there was a program that was running that said exactly what this person I work with said. It's just not worth it. This is not what you do. This is not the path that you take. You back down. You never fight. You never escalate. You always back down. And that narrative, I don't know how much we adopt it because it's convenient or because it allows us to hide, and maybe there's there's a certain satisfaction in that. Uh, But it's incredibly damaging because, as you said, it created a lot of internal conflict for me. On the one hand, I feel like I'm talented, I'm capable, I'm strong. On the other hand, I'm not acting that way. And that conflict, at times, threatens to rip you apart. And it does exactly what you say. It leads to depression. If you feel like you're not capable of defending yourself, What does that say about you as an individual? You can't survive. You can't thrive in this world. Or conversely, if you have nothing to defend, if you let everything go and there's nothing that you're willing to stand up for, what kind of life is that? It's a life where you value nothing. It's a life with absolutely no meaning. So yes, it leads to isolation. It leads to depression. It changes the way that other people interact with you. Uh, They're not going to want to be around you. Uh, There might be a mixture of pity, revulsion that affects your relationships, So I think from a health standpoint, what you're saying is spot on. I've experienced it personally. And I'll just relate one other anecdote. Uh, This hit me. Maybe I was – this maybe happened about 10 years after I went through some of these situations where I was backing down. So I was at a point, maybe early 30s, uh, where I started to change the way that I interact. I started to change some of my narratives. And I read this book called Shantaram, which is this crazy story. It's a pretty interesting story. Uh, It's about this Australian criminal who ends up in Bombay and he's working with the Bombay mob and he ends up in prison. And there's this one scene where the prison guards are beating some of the other prisoners. And he's the only thing standing in front of the guards and those prisoners. And he knows that he's going to get his ass kicked because there are just tons of guards that are going to come at him. There's no way he can take all of them down. But he still gets up. He still takes a stand he still takes the beating until he's unconscious. And there was a line in there, which I thought was just so beautifully put, that sometimes you have to sacrifice the body to save the spirit. So yes, he was bloodied, his bones were broken, he was on the verge of death, but he saved his soul and he saved his humanity. And if you're not willing to do that, to your point, what kind of life are you are you really living? It's almost like, why do we even exist? Uh, what, what are we doing on this planet?
1: And then, again, perfect point. As in Shataram, I, I also read the book. And what I gained from that is what is life. And when I work with people with their health, and the temperament of the person is one of those of cowardice, where you're constantly backing down, slithering away from all interactions, you're very limited. And I find that. I would say to myself, I'm a frontiersman, I'm a explorer, I've always found a great joy in travel, getting to know people, facing life, and on the terms of the people as a, as a visitor, uh, as a guest, and to be open hearted takes a lot of strength. To face yourself, and yeah, you can live, and as they say in the Vedas, you can breathe, and you can move, but you're not living. And none of these people have I met that were admirable people, not that they were bad people in the sense, but think about how small your world has to be that you never stand up or face anything. So when you face illness, I know families that are like that, and when one of the family members became ill with a cancer, I have seen many times where their partner says, look, I didn't sign up for this. I'm out of here. This is too hard. And the person says, I understand if you leave. No, I don't understand. I would never abandon a friend because I am my friend. I am my life. That is my life. I am my family. I am those who love me. And in order to have these deeper relationships, you have to risk yourself. You have to risk exposure. You have to risk vulnerability. And in doing that, you become much stronger. And, at, and right now I'm sitting with uh, really good people in the room. And one of them is Kevin, who is, uh, is, as they say, more than a brother to me. We have been friends more than 50 years. And we were laughing today about our childhood exploits. And that's where you start. He is, a, many years as a first responder, um, always been the same guy. They didn't have to train him to do right by people. So when your family is in trouble, when you're in distress, when your baby can't breathe, or your mother is choking, or they've been in a horrible car wreck, and that person who's willing to risk life and limb to make sure your loved one has another day or opportunity to live is my buddy. He's always been like that. He's always been the same dude. So they didn't train him to do that. You don't have to thank him for that. He, you, if you're thanking him, you thanking him for being himself. And what I do now with people, holding a space for a promise I made to a dying teacher, I'm just that way because I don't know any other way because my, the people I admire are that way. My mentors, my teachers. Um, so I always understood as I grew into adulthood that life had inherent risk and inherent opportunities. Decide what is living. If you've sold your soul time and time again to the Lord of safe and mundane living you're probably not a person that really enjoys breathing
2: what are your thoughts on that Kid? actually I, I I agree with you uh, the comments that you actually made about myself um, yeah I am the way that I am and you know I ended up picking on a career in the fire service because it allows me to do what I do, and earn a living for my for my family. Um, I don't know when I when I when I think about uh, being a hero. You know, everybody comes to it from a different perspective. Uh, I do believe that it's something that's that's ingrained in you. You know, uh, you get a sense of caring for people uh, throughout your life, and you go through certain circumstances where you put yourself, maybe not not put yourself at risk, but you care for someone. You care for someone else. You make a gesture or something like that. Um, Depending on where life leads you, it may lead you to doing other things that some people may consider heroic, but at the time you thought it was something to do. You know, when I I look at uh, that whole subject, I think that when you have to make a decision to do something, I I think that, that's, that's really heroic because at that time, you have that opportunity to think about it. If I do this, if I do this, these are the consequences. You know, reacting, uh, my particular job, you know, uh, I've learned a skill set that allows me to do a lot of things that, you know, can help help people at times. Just uh, as you as you trained yourself, you made that dedication to a dying friend, and um, you trained yourself and and got the education to treat people and help people uh, achieve optimum health. Uh, but I've done the same with, with the fire service by learning what techniques and getting the tools and, and the technology and. Developing of strategies and techniques that would allow you know an individual to go into a place that may be unattainable, you know and uh and pull some pull a person out you know talking about the basic fire or something like that um, can I chime
1: in um yeah so as I said I've known Kevin uh, we're going 50 years well, when we were a kid we were telling funny stories about our childhood and Just to show you what's in a person, Vin, when you talk about people who avoid any type of risk. When we were little kids, um, Kevin busted a child rapist. A child rapist. And I remember when it went on and he called everyone's attention, they busted the guy who did it, he caught him. And we probably weren't more than 10 years old, 11 years old. And you had to testify, you had to send this man to prison. And, and many people said, it's risky, he shouldn't get involved. I don't think he should do this. I remember the discussion in the neighborhood, um, how risky it would be. But that was never an option for you, to back down, to shut your mouth, to just go about your business, right?
2: No, I, you know, it was it was a young girl that was being being molested, and my first thing was say, "Hey, this is not right. Stop." Now, this that, is that, not right. Stop. Right, and uh, took the actions to make sure that it did stop. Um, but that was that was a reaction. That was I didn't have to think about that. That was just something that I just did, but. To elaborate on that story, uh, that person later was released from prison, and m- myself and Z walking down the street, you you recall that, and he comes up to us, and uh, he threatens me, and pulls out a knife, and lunges towards me. How old were you then? Were you I was six, approximately, but no, we were in high school then, yeah, so, so i remember about four, fourteen or fifteen. Eight. Yeah, so. You know, I plan on getting out of the way. You know, I didn't want to get stuck with a knife. Before I could even make a move, Z grabs his arm and, you know, and and wrestles the guy down and uh, takes a knife from him, you know, basically saving me. And I, I think that was, that wasn't something that he thought about. It was just something that just, it was his reaction, you know, to, uh, uh, say, Hey, my friend is about to be harmed. Um, I, I must stop this. It's something that has to stop. It was just that simple. Uh, even though it was very risky. Um, and I'm definitely grateful for you know, grateful for it. You know, he basically saved my life, you know? Um, but you know, that's a, it's a, an interesting cycle or, or circle of, uh, coincidences or uh experiences that you know we just pass on you know um throughout my adult uh career and stuff you know I've had the opportunity to help a lot of people uh some people may have thought maybe I saved their lives or thought what I've done is heroic but um you know it's just it's just part of that strange cycle that you know um people with this kind of disposition go through. And, and just going on then
1: with that, and what, what I get from that, and everybody speaks differently, is we talk about responses and reactions. We talk about risk and saving lives or whatever. Those are not thoughts that I have in my mind. this is wrong, I will not, I could not live with myself allowing this thing to take place if I have the ability to affect it. So I've always been that way. Kev has always been that way. We didn't feel tougher than, stronger than, we weren't walking around looking for And you, just the idea when the guy proudly says, I just saw it and I walked away. Sometimes all you have to do is speak up, is to yell. But it takes a certain calculation to cower away. That is why we despise the coward. You intentionally push another in the way of harm in order to preserve your miserable self, your miserable self, on every level of miserable. How do you look and hold space for love, for intimacy, when you are that type of being? So I'm not saying go out and become a guardian angel or or look for trouble. But in this life, if you live this life, if you live on the frontier, there are issues of the frontier. Things will come up and you, you, you live your life in a way that you're always preparing based on your behavior. And these are not perfect people. These are not people of, of saint-like demeanor, whatever that would mean to many. But in the basic essence, in the intrinsic essence of that person, And the function of that person, they have a connection to humanity. The coward does not have a connection to greater humanity. They have a connection to their own needs. And in that person, there is more of a, instead of empathy, there is entropy. They have to suck the energy and life out of others. It reflects in their health. It reflects in their maladies to various degrees. I see the diseases of cowards every day ravaged, ravaged by anxiety, ravaged by um, various other mental health issues, ravaged by the shame of self, the shame of being, maybe medicating themselves away for it, or uh, financially insulating themselves for it, whatever method they use. I believe there is something innately good about human beings that take a stand. You with me, Vin?
0: Yeah, we've covered so much ground, I wanna summarize a little bit and shift the conversation. We've talked about the impact on health, the fact that being a coward is going to lead to someone who shies away from life, who has less of a full life, who's less capable of taking care of themselves, That's going to lead to depression, anxiety, shame. And the question is, what do you do about it? So if we think about you and Kevin, even though you might think that you're normal people or this is just how you are, both of you are an anomaly. Most people don't act that way. I think the way most people act, I remember there was a famous case in New York years ago. It must be 25, 30 years ago at this point. There was a woman being murdered in an apartment complex. She might have even been in the courtyard in full view of everyone in the building, and she was screaming. She was being stabbed to death. This went on for 15, 20 minutes, just screaming blood all over the place, dying right in front of people, and people are shutting their blinds and staying in their apartment. No one's doing anything about it. And even though that sounds insane, I think that's what a lot of people end up doing. And as we talked about, part of that comes because we have the wrong narrative, which is, We need to preserve ourselves at all costs. We can't take any risk. Part of it is we've never trained to be in that situation, so we don't have the habitual responses. So if you think about people on a continuum, Z, I would say you're on one end of the spectrum. You're out looking for people uh, to beat the shit out of. So you like doing that. If you didn't take down the person who was attacking Kevin, you probably had another five people on your list that day that you would have taken down. So that's you, your way out there, one end. Kevin maybe is a little more neutral, uh, but still he's an anomaly where he talks about how he's just born this way. And for him, it's not a choice. He's just got to do certain things and he's got to serve humanity in a certain way. And he doesn't really think about it. And I think that's great, but that doesn't answer the question of what do we do for people who are more on the right side of that spectrum. So for the person who I think is the average person where They're afraid, they're unsure of themselves, they haven't taken action in the past, they've shied away from challenges, they've bought into this whole narrative. How do you start moving the needle and train yourself to get to the point where you can act in more of a heroic way when you're in those moments? You have the wherewithal to confront challenges, overcome those challenges, stand up for what you believe in. I've got to imagine part of it is the stories that we tell ourselves. So, how do we correct those narratives? And maybe more importantly, and I'd love to hear from both of you, Z and Kevin, how do you train yourself day in and day out to be that person?
1: I would say, Vin, we train ourselves every day, every action we take, every waking hour. Are you considerate of those around you? Again, I'm not going down the path of the moralist or the saint. But do you think about their well-being? Do you really think about that? Can you let someone buy in traffic? Can you hold a door for a person that you meet at the door?
0: AC, I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Say a little more about this, because when I hear this, this sounds a little bit odd. i got to imagine people in the audience are a bit confused at this. You're saying that preparation for being a hero is as simple as being considerate, opening doors, allowing people to to make their way into a heavily trafficked street. Talk about that a little more. Explain what that has to do with heroism.
1: Compassion, compassion. Can you feel what you feel for another person that you feel for yourself or your family? Kevin just whispered empathy, empathy. Can you embrace The life path of another person and can you see yourself in that person so that's one of the pieces of higher intelligence is empathy so we understand that the flow of life is a comprehensive and dynamic flow between many people do well towards others not for their sake but for your sake And you'll find that when you do that, it is not much thought involved in giving a helping hand. And we practice rudeness on a regular basis. We practice selfishness on a regular basis. We self-indulge so deeply that it rots us from the inside out. Because when we turn inward, there's no hole that can be filled. It's an endless, I want, I need, I want, I need, I want, I need. As we start to practice, I need little and I am fulfilled. Then we immediately have this idea of the unitized self, the abundant self and we can share ourselves openly with others without constantly thinking about what we don't have. How empty I am, if I just had a little more, I would be nice to other people. If I had a little more of whatever more is, I would then have a reserve and thus I could be kind. And we don't need to do that. It is actually brings a great peace to you when you've done your best and walk away, as Lao Tzu says, do your best and walk away. I have never stood around in situations looking for praise. I have never thought about, wow, I'm great, I'm great. And, and, and I have to correct you, I don't walk around looking to beat people's asses. I used to. Uh, you know, I, I used to. The Hulk was a superhero archetype. And I was just waiting for somebody to piss me off and do something. I matured out of that. But underneath that was still the archetype that I was raised and and admired people who were always open hearted and giving themselves freely to others. And there is a reward that we get in a different way there are health rewards, there's a lower anxiety index on you, there are higher immune responses just like in Qigong. So we practice what we are every minute of every day. And there are different metrics that we can use. But when it comes to a real base metric of hero, coward, both of them need to be nurtured and cultivated. You, we're deciding every day which one we cultivate. We may even be doing it somewhat unconsciously. And when we're conscious of ourselves, when we're self-realized, we're the ones who create ourselves. We build ourselves. We make ourselves. And you look at people and you see, who do you admire? Who do you fancy? Who is someone that throughout your life, as you move, what are the properties of the person that you say, I really like that person? Um, I just happen to have great mentors, teachers, and wonderful friends that opened my heart, opened my heart and shielded my body, made me stronger than normal. Because they gave me more than normal love and grace. You follow me, Ben?
0: I think there's an interesting principle. And I've heard this in other contexts, not so much around heroism or cowardice. But I think the same principle applies, which is really open yourself to life. I think so much of our time we spend resisting what happens or hiding from what happens. Whereas if you just open it, accept it, go into any situation with a sense that this presents an opportunity, this just presents a natural evolution of yourself, uh, of your circumstances, you can get a lot more out of life. And maybe that also provides more compassion. Uh, So if, You're dealing with people on a day-to-day basis. It's not, oh my God, why do I have to do this? Why is this person imposing on me? It's, let me just take this in stride. Let me look at this as an opportunity to serve, to build a relationship, to do something that might strengthen me, that might make me feel better about myself, and also have a positive impact on the community of people that I'm a part of. Uh, So it's kind of interesting because that's a principle that I think is talked about quite a bit in the classical literature and maybe a little bit different than the way we're framing it. But I think the same principle applies.
1: I agree with you, man. And I think about stuff as you talk and maybe some of the other folks, maybe Kevin and Dave and all of them will chime in on this. But. I was thinking about a few things that were said to me by different people at different times. And a year or so ago, my father in law collapse of a heart attack in the house and I did CPR on him until he was uh, transported by ambulance to the hospital and he survived and so many people came up to me well how could you do something like that you're you're, you're so brave and then recently my youngest was choking and was in respiratory distress and same thing CPR get him together sit through a night and pick you um after my brother's death, I went to Sri Lanka during the tsunami. And I needed to go there. I needed to bury the dead. I needed to help those who lost people so I could live. I didn't do that so much just for them. I did it for my own sake, for the who I am. When they asked me, how did you, you were so brave to do CPR on your, 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 your father-in-law. my dad was murdered in front of me at 13, I would pump his chest until I couldn't pump if I had a chance to give him another minute of life. If I knew that I could give a chance, how could I live with myself not even trying? I asked those people, I said, you think that what I did was a great deed? How could you not do it? How could you not do it? Who, what manner of person are you that you would not do it? So I know you say maybe I'm, anomaly or Kevin and I are different. Okay, I I don't know, but I don't know. I can't imagine I can't imagine a person who would watch another person die. And I've been a soldier. I've been a military man. I've I've been a brutal fighter. But I never took joy in the suffering of another human being. I loved the idea of justice and those ideas and that the people who get what's coming to them when they Hurt other people I love that I love that story But I hate the coward I'm getting worked up then Because I'm thinking about what people have said to me How could you Oh you're so brave I remember a number of people from Sri Lanka even saying to me I would go but I'm so scared of disease I'm so scared of The other side might get me I don't even want to know their names I don't want their phone numbers Yeah you can support me in any way you can if that makes you feel better, so people would throw money, and say, Well, I just just tell them I helped with the money. I said, my God, why don't you come with me? Why don't you walk with me? Oh, you know, I I would, but I have so much to risk. You're risking your own sanity, your own life. What I don't want their life. I don't want their life. You know, I I maybe we're different. Maybe we're different.
2: Is he, You know, I was. Uh, <clears throat> thinking about you know what Vin said you know uh, I can kind of agree that you know we are or you know an anomaly but we are who we are so uh, what's normal to us is is different for everybody else because everybody follows their own path and I look at you know the human condition you know self-preservation has been a strong uh, 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 motivator in, in, the, in the human condition that's why you know we we lasted so long throughout throughout the centuries and um, but you know a higher level uh, of that would be risking yourself or putting yourself at risk so other people could continue on it may be without you you know so you know when people make that ultimate sacrifice but uh, when you when you when you when you speak of well, how do how does how do people reach you know how do they become hero, heroic? Um, you know like I, I mentioned before I whispered uh, empathy and how you uh, care for others and um, you make sacrifices mm-hmm. to make sure that things go in a better way for whatever individual you may be reaching out to help a group of people that you're reaching out to help. So, um, what I see is the fact that when you, when you start doing those emotions and stuff, I mean, cultivating those types of things, you know, you can, you, you can become, you know, or, or bring yourself to be like a hero and, and maybe in, so, in someone's, someone's eyes, you know, uh, you know, you, you don't have to, you know, go to Sri Lanka or you don't have to, uh, um, put your life at risk, push somebody out of the way of a speeding car or something like that. Uh, it could be, you know, as something as you know, reading a book to a child, uh, patting someone on, on the back, uh, saying, hey, you know, give sure. them a compliment on a good job done. Those are, there's all kind of ways, you know, like, you know, to my, my kids, you know well dad was the one who always took care of me so you know maybe hey my dad is my hero um and and, you know the other people in the room here i'm sure you know dave you know has some experience that on some level we all are we just need to get in touch with what that is Mm -hmm. because we all wouldn't be here you know some a lot some people are going to exist because others make sacrifices like you know um a lot of the safety of our country, you know, people serve in the armed forces. They go out and they risk themselves. And you know, in different uh, civilizations, you know, you have warriors that fight, and you have other people that, you know, produce food, and you have other people that would be so-called intellectuals. You know, groups or classes, uh, not putting one above the other, but they're all part of the makeup of uh, sure, of sure. Uh, uh, creating a society, and uh, in that society. Giving, uh, I think is, is is that that key element that that would uh, change would, would, would change it because it's 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 a fulfilling need to give. Um, no, I, I agree with you, Ken. Yeah. There are different ways, of, and
1: you said one word, and it was self. And 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 everybody defines the self a different mm-hmm. way. And when I was in deep deep grief. The part of myself that raised me from that grief was to open my heart to do service. So as you remember, right after my brother's kill, I went to Sri Lanka right after my neck was injured. And I couldn't function well, as you've, I've told this story before, but when I went there and I was offering service, and I encountered a young woman who um, was looking for her children. And she kept saying, they're here, they're here. And everybody said, no, your children are long gone. It's been uh, four or five days, they're gone. And this young woman, not even 30 years old, said, no, they're here. And so we heard something that sounded like cats whining. We dug and we found the twins. They were both in great distress. And we had water and we attempted to aspirate the babies, give them water, get the seed the sand out of them there were no advanced um, uh, medical tools around so we did everything we can to get the baby to breathe we got to the other baby and we ran out of water we couldn't flush the baby couldn't help the baby out baby passed away And at that moment I was so emotionally exhausted from what I had witnessed um, tired fatigue physical emotional spiritual fatigue and I just started to weep And what changed me, what this woman became heroic to me, she said, uncle, please don't cry. You gave me one. So she had just lost one of her children and she was comforting me. So that changed me and I had been ravaged with grief for losing one brother that I had for a good portion of my life. And here's a woman going through the worst thing a parent could go to. And in that moment, she comforted me before she even buried her child or put her child away. So the the cycle of heroic people, those are the kinds of people that I admire. And I also realize that the self, to be self-realized. If you yourself, if you know yourself, to be of a cowardice nature, of a low nature, then it takes other tools to exist amongst humanity. But if you know of yourself as being a person who is part of humanity, I can only say from my experience, I can live with myself every day and every night. I don't, I'm not, I'm not looking over my shoulder and wondering what threat is about, I just don't live like that. Dave, Kiko, you guys have any thoughts on any of this?
3: Yeah, yeah, I have something. So, I think this question of uh, whether you're a coward or a hero is <clears throat> is a little black and white. I think it's um, equally a question of preparation and training, and you know, you know whether you know how to deal with a particular situation. Um, when I was a sheriff's deputy, it would often happen that I would come across an accident by myself. Um, one time, two cars had hit each other going at a combined speed of 120 miles an hour. It looked like a missile had hit, and the engine from one car was on the north side of the road, and the two cars were on the south side of the road. The people in the cars were an elderly lady, 18-year-old boy, or a young man, and then a mom with her two kids, including an infant. And um, So in that moment, I was by myself. I had to run around to, to, to try to keep everybody alive. And there were a lot of civilians that stood and watched. And I, I don't think any of those people that were watching were, you know, afraid or cowardly. They just didn't. They didn't know what to do with an accident and people, uh, you know, in that moment bleeding to death. And I and and I thought the most heroic thing was actually a, a nine-year-old boy who somehow got out of the car that his mom was trapped in. It looked. It was an SUV. It looked like an accordion. The steering wheel was pressed against her chest, and she could barely breathe. Um, he had climbed out and then ran over me. Um, you know, and asked me to save his mom. So, I mean, so that kid had some maybe some raw heroism being nine years old, but everybody else watching just they just did simply didn't know what to do. Um, I ran a serial predator lab for several years, and one of the things we did, we were trying to understand why there is so much sexual violence, especially directed towards women. And so we ran a, a covert operation up in uh, <coughs> Valencia, and uh, what we did was we set up a situation where uh, we had two actors, uh, a female who would act like she was very intoxicated, and then a male actor who would be trying to push her into a car. So, the scene that we set up is the male actor's trying to push the female actress or actor into a car, and she's saying, I don't want to go, and he's saying, Come on, you know, baby, we're just going to get out of here and go to my place or something. So, we would set that up, and then we had hidden cameras, and we would watch, we would wait till somebody would come along, and it'd be a man or a couple or a couple of people. Well, so, we did that ten times. Does anybody want to guess out of the ten times how many times people inter- interfered? Well, so nine out of ten times, they just walked right on by. I mean, it was a blatant, we, we couldn't have, the actors couldn't have done a better job. It was clearly, uh, you know, an attempt to, to force somebody to go somewhere uh, against their will. Nine out of ten times, people dressed in suits, people going out for the night, you know, with... with uh, you know, the kind of people that you think of as normal. There was only one guy who interfered, and that guy, we interviewed him afterwards, was a, a felon on parole. And so whereas society would condemn that guy, um, <clears throat> because he's a felon and had done violence to people in the past, he was the one guy who wasn't going to allow it to happen. And the way he explained it to us was he said, well, he had a daughter, and he wouldn't want that to happen to his daughter. Uh, he took a risk. Says if he had a, if it turned violent, then he would have gone back to jail. And I think the difference, there's a lot to be learned from that, that story. And I, and I think that when you talk about heroism versus, you know, uh, cowardice, there's another one, there's another option there, and that is pretend it's not happening, which is what a lot of people did. And we, we did another study that, that showed that. But in this particular case, I think the difference between that felon and the other people was that he was somewhat used to violence. So he, in a way, had a little bit of training. He had some previous knowledge. He wasn't afraid to confront the guy. And, and he, out of all the people, did the right thing um, in that test.
0: You know, it's interesting as we're talking, there's so many ideas that are coming up in my mind. And I'm thinking about the words empathy and compassion that you and uh, that you Z and Kevin used. And I think so much of it starts with that, just having a fundamental connection to other people. And maybe that's where this all begins, to cultivate relationships with people you love, with a community that extends beyond yourself. You think about the world we live in, so much of our interaction now is on the internet, it's on social media, it's in a virtual reality. There's a generation of people which has lost the ability to have conversations and cultivate real relationships. We have people who don't talk to their neighbors, whereas if you go back 30 or 40 years, you had neighborhoods, you could leave your kids with someone else, now you don't even know who your neighbors are you don't have that relationship. There are people I work with that won't even step out of their office and introduce themselves to people that they've worked next to for years. So just fostering some of that interaction, some of that connection, opening up, conversing with people, understanding the commonality, I think that's really where it starts because if you can build bridges between yourself and the rest of humanity, that's where you get that empathy and you get that compassion. And beyond that, as I'm thinking, you see, As we're talking, and I'm really thinking about my wife. And when we talk about heroism versus cowardice, Kevin, you're right. You don't need to go to Sri Lanka. You don't need to save people from burning buildings. I think that's fantastic that people do that. But there are different ways that you can be a hero. And I look at my wife. She's a physician. She has an incredible ability to talk to people, to calm them down, explain what's happening, understand their concerns empathize, connect, almost immediately in, in a very comfortable fashion. And you compare that to other doctors, doctors are notorious for looking at their feet when they're delivering bad news. They don't want to engage. They come out and they look down and they say, I'm sorry, your spouse passed away. And then they go back and then there's someone else on the care team who comes in, who's trained to provide more of the human interaction. But she's not like that. She will go out of her way to build those relationships And Z, you talked to her the other night, the three of us were talking, the more that she does, the more she gets involved in situations where she feels like she's really helping people, where she's having a difference or making a difference, the more satisfaction she feels. Uh, She's involved now in Planned Parenthood. And she says she's never felt this way about practicing medicine, just the impact that she can have. She sits down, she talks to these women who are making a very difficult decision to have an abortion where they're dealing with stigma, they're dealing with the loss of an unborn child. And she talks to them without judgment, with compassion, with an open heart. And some of the comments she's gotten have been, I've never had anyone treat me this way. This is incredible, I've never felt so good. And it's great for them, it's wonderful for her. In 11 years of her practicing medicine, I've never seen her close to this level of engagement. So maybe those are some things that uh, we can take away. And uh, I don't know, Kiko or Dave, if you have other thoughts on this, but just cultivating that compassion, that connection to other people, and then finding ways in our life to practice it, uh, whether it's through work, uh, through activities, uh, through uh, just making sure that we know the people around us. And through that practice, maybe we start to absorb some of these more heroic behaviors. And even if we don't get to the point where we're saving lives, at least we can go to sleep at night and we can feel good about who we are and the work that we do in this world.
1: And yeah, it's very clear. You don't have to do extraordinary things. Just be extraordinary internally, live a full life. As Dave said, some people don't have the tools in the moment. And if you don't have the tools, there are things that in your soul, in your heart that You can reach for, can you support the person going through it in any way? Do your best in a moment, wherever that is. Um, Then you talk about your wife, and I I called her a couple of times because I thought it was so cool what she's doing. And what she's doing is so cool because people are going through something and you're just an ear for them. It takes a certain type of human being to just lend an ear and read that other person. Be empathetic enough to say, "I feel you," and you can be. I'll, I'll hold space for you for a moment, so it mitigates your pain. If it gives you that, that's a great thing. I, I was so proud when we heard and I talked to call her a friend and somebody I know because I could imagine. I could only imagine what women go through. I don't go through that, but I could only imagine you need somebody there for you when nobody else is there. I know it's like when <clears throat> a woman has a miscarriage or loses a child or is alone suffering through stuff, and to have an ear, somebody that holds space, to relieve that hurt. And that's all we're talking about. Kegel said an important thing, that people are raised a certain way. And the thought I have on that is that there are people who were raised to preserve themselves and themselves only or their group. And those people can't travel, they can't go places. You must be confined to that group. It takes a lot of corralling and domesticating and conditioning to prevent a person from living fully. And I know people like that who have the ostrich approach to life. If there's something going on that's troubling, stick your head in a hole. If there's something going on in the family that's troubling, let's just not talk about it. Let's just pretend it doesn't happen. So there are people that are raised like that. So they don't have the emotional or the psychological tools to deal with life. Because all these are part of life. And no, you don't have to go rescue everybody. You don't have to intervene in people's troubles. It's really about you. So it's not a situational thing we're talking about. It's an internal thing.
2: Are you re- referring to like self-awareness because yes. some, <clears throat> a lot of people, you know, I mean, becoming self-aware, you know, I, everybody perceives them- themselves in a certain way, uh, but uh, if, once you become really aware of, of self, you may find out, hey, there is, there is this hero element within my, w- within me, within my personality, within my soul. However, you may you may perceive it. I think you know uh, cowardice is, is is really really complicated because uh, individual by seeing something becomes a victim. So, um, and, and once they are a victim, you know sometimes they they're 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 just being uh, victimized just as much as that other person that they're watching. So that person may not do nothing. But that person may care. That person may have empathy for for what is happening to the individual that they're watching. But they're going to be. But they're get, they're getting hurt as
0: well. Hey, hey, Kevin, I'm going to interrupt you. What you're saying is really profound. Expand on that. Why is it that just by watching something you become a victim?
2: Well, there's there's been studies about uh, let's see, uh, domestic abuser. You know, uh, the male child. I mean, the male. And, and, you know, is a, a wife abuser. Uh, when, and when you look at their history, a lot of times you find out that they were part of a family structure where they witnessed this abuse from their father maybe to their mother. And as a result of that, they were abused themselves. Or they may have been abused as a child. And as when they grow up themselves, they become the abuser. I, um, unfortunately, I, you know, like... Uh, confess that, you know, I have some people that are in my family uh, that have a problem with domestic abuse. And, you know, once I find out that, you know, hey, their father, you know, was a a abuser, you know, I could could see where that come from. It does not uh, exonerate them from guilt, but it's a way of, of trying to help them. Maybe there's some help that they can get. But like I said, when you seeing something traumatic happen, like when Z talked about the situation in Sri Lanka where, you know, he couldn't save the child and he, and he started to weep, you know, uh, Z then at that point became a victim. You know, he was just as hurt, you know, as the mom who had just lost her child. But the mom's empathy and, and caring for Z she was able to bring out the heroic um attitude in herself and was able to reach out to him and help him so uh yeah i you know I, you can be a victim just by seeing something happen to another person it may impact you at that point it may impact you years later um, sometimes it can have devastating adverse impact on you where you become that person that you were, that, uh, that traumatized you earlier in your life. And that goes back to self-realization. That goes right back
1: to those of us who are working on themselves, people who are working on themselves, who are studying the self, who work on a dynamic philosophy of the self, who do all these kinds of things. That's what we're trying to do, is that type of, of self-discovery, uh, Right that I want to know what went on with me, I want to know what I'm made of and I want to bring that out and I want to um, be in charge of myself, I want to own myself so I'm not a hapless victim of circumstance or somebody who is walking through the world unconscious and blindly doing things without even having an understanding of what's going on or why I'm driven this way. I think about it in in life and I, I share These experiences when I was a young child, my mom and dad, uh, my my dad came home from work and had some uh, some friends, another executive or an engineer at the house. They were going over plans and they met at the house. And he ordered my mom to get him a drink. Go get me a drink. And my mom wasn't that type of person, so she said, you know, you want a drink, you go get it. I'm busy with the kids. And he was, my dad was rude. He waited for his friend to leave, been drinking. And after the friend left, he said to my mom, don't ever speak to me like that in front of company. And he hauled off and punched her in the jaw right in front of us. And my mom took the full brunt of that hit, checked her lip for blood, moved the furniture, and laid into my dad, knocked him over the furniture, broke the table. My sister immediately started having an asthma attack. I ran in between the two and said, stop fighting, stop fighting. And my dad, in his haste to get back at my mom, it looked like a wrestling match, like you were watching The Rock versus uh, the Gravedigger or something. And my dad lunged at my mom, and in doing that, he knocked me over. And my mom said, don't hurt my baby. And she flipped my dad over and broke another piece of furniture. And my sister started having an asthma attack. It was just chaos. And then my dad looked over at my sister and saw her in distress and stopped and said, oh my God, my baby is having an asthma attack. And he ran over and my mom and dad ran over to comfort my sister. She was breathing hard and then they comforted and they went and got ice and they started putting ice on each other's wounds. And um, so I was a witness. I don't know what the hell I witnessed, but how it shaped me as a child was that I never knew women who were victimized. I never, I never understood what that meant to be a a victim who just took punishment. So you're right about what we see and how we're raised. So the whole idea of domestic abuse was kind of a weird question to me. So somebody said, well, my husband hit me. I said, so what punch or kick did you use on him? That would be my next question. But for most people, that's not their reality. So it goes back to what Kiko was saying, is that, yeah, our upbringing, has a lot to do with us but not everything to do with us because for those of us who are working on being more enlightened we admire the hero or the character of hero every time we stop step on our yoga floor and we do the hero series the hero i volunteer i'm willing to serve i wish to serve that's what the hero does so it could be in a number of ways i am just not saying there's one way, but our tendency to be empathetic, the tendency to be considerate, the tendency to be kind, the tendency to serve, the tendency to um, support nurturing environments, the tendency to be courteous, those are all the qualities and where that will take us is in the opposite direction of being anti that will take us rude takes us down another path rude for the sake of rude Uh, seeking control of others will take us down a certain path Um, trying to dictate the movements and behaviors of people will take you down a certain path to undermine the forward moving of another being to interfere with their life to fall into jealousy, avarice, all these things, and to let them guide you will lead you down a certain path that is that of the coward. And I think in kind of summarizing this, that's what I'm talking about. And when it comes to health and well-being, having peace of mind. If you're trying to manipulate, control people, it takes a lot of energy. It distracts you from yourself. When you turn inward and you take care of yourself, and you do those simple things. Treat others as you wish to be treated. Know the self. And that's the beginning. Then you go a little bigger. That You open up your life to life. Because it takes a lot of energy to hide yourself away. It takes a tremendous amount of energy for an ostrich to stick its whole head in a hole and avoid the world that's around. And it doesn't serve the benefit. Just because you don't see the lion coming doesn't mean the line isn't coming. So it's better to pull your head out of your ass or the sand and take action, whatever that may be. It could be just simply being considerate of another person. When you're not considerate of other people and you fall into that type of weakness, your world becomes very small. You have fewer friends, fewer people you can interact with. And even those you can interact with, you have to sequester your emotions and your feelings so you don't rock the boat, because your boat is now smaller and smaller, going against a greater and greater ocean of life. So you have to find a way to avoid people, avoid intimacy, avoid closeness, avoid any deep conversation, avoid knowing. So then what kind of partner did that make you? What kind of parent are you? That your whole life is built around what you don't say, what you don't do. Controlling every movement with no life in it. So for folks like us, maybe we're anomalies, but that's not living to me. I would never trade places with that person. You follow me, Vin?
0: Yeah, I want to talk about algorithms, as we often do. And I don't think this is about judgment or blame there are a lot of reasons why people turn out the way that they turn out. I think what you're saying, Z, is critical that regardless of how you are, there's a point in your life where some of us take stock of ourselves and say, do we want to better ourselves? Do we want to move down the path of self-enlightenment, self-betterment, self-realization? And if we do, and we want to be more heroic, how do we go about doing so? You mentioned a number of important things, starting with compassion, kindness, empathy, practicing that in day-to-day life, finding opportunities to serve. What are some of the other instructions? Are there two or three other points that you can give people who are at a point in their lives where they say, yeah, I'm not where I want to be, but I'm committed to walking down this path and becoming more heroic? What are some of the other remedies that you would give them?
1: Well, you almost gave a hint to it, if you if you live in your life and there is you there is emptiness in your life or there are things missing in your life by knowing the self you can ask yourself why are these things missing if it's about uh, a partnership what is your role in the absence of partnership and then work on that thing open yourself up to making mistakes or being vulnerable even being hurt That's heroic, because I'm going to get out there and I might hurt, but I'm headed somewhere. The road might be rocky. The bedding might not be that comfortable, but I'm going to move forward, because life is about moving forward. So again, most of it is introspective. Then Look at the parts of your life. I tell people when they're in physical pain, there's always a remedy. But most of the remedy is so close to you and so dear to you that you don't want to take that because by changing your behavior, changing your ways, you change your identity. I see people that you know. I talk to, people who are very dear to me, uh, uh, Kiko and Dave, and, and I watch them with my children, and they're really good with children. I mean, they have parental reflexes. You know what I mean, ben? Like when the kids dart about, they know where the kids are, and they provide them with comfort without looking around or wondering but they don't have mates and children themselves and what I want from them is to spread what they are and advance that in humanity and that's usually through finding someone in a loving relationship but the challenge is oftentimes to be heroic enough to face that it might not work right out right away and some people don't want to risk it and so one of the things is being willing to take a risk but not a risk like bungee jumping or or running on airplane wings or splunking not that kind of risk those are fools risk those are risk of people who don't have interesting lives I'm saying the real risk is the risk of opening your own heart and sitting still with all your demons sitting still with your fear. Let them be companions until you can fearlessly walk away from them. When it comes to your health, go internally, look at the people you love the most in life, and ask yourself, if by changing my behavior with my health, can I be a hero to my loved ones and give them maybe another day with me, another week, another year? So I'm going to stay healthy because my battlefield now is the battlefield of longevity to provide comfort and solace to those that I love that identify me as part of their life. So I'm going to take care of better care of myself. And against the trends of the weaker self, I'm going to be a little bit stronger with that. So those are some of the things we can do and they're real simple things. And they're all about being introspective and having clarity of the self. Know yourself, realize yourself, own yourself and to yourself be true. Once you've identified the self.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway from this conversation. The secret is there's no secret. There's not some magic that uh, certain people are in situations and a switch flips and suddenly they're saving babies from burning buildings or running in front of bullets, we are what we practice. And if we start with a foundation of empathy, of kindness, if we practice opening our heart, connecting with other people, serving other people, then we find that life becomes a lot richer. We can live with ourselves. And when we do hit those moments of crisis, we're not afraid to act. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway for me When we end up in situations that feel risky, if we know it's worth it, don't waste time analyzing, rationalizing, battling yourself. Just step up to the plate. Do what you have to do. And in that routine and that discipline, that is really where heroism is born. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.